Good evening to you all. I'm just back from Arcata and um, you know the the movement from one place to another place and I always feel like I'm um, leaving one set of friends and arriving to the company of another set of friends always coming and going so it's a, a real pleasure for me to see you tonight and I thought I would try to weave together a little bit of what we've heard over the last several weeks um, see if I can find some common threads and then nudge us forward just a little bit waiting room people arriving. There we go. So I'll weave together the last several weeks. Um, you'll hear something familiar in uh, Hong Shur's stay with this just as this and stay with that just as that. <laughs> I'll also weave in a little bit of Patrick's talk from last week about paying attention and a little bit of this conundrum we have between, in theory, it's one way, and in actuality, some other way, sometimes. So let's see if I can weave them and then nudge us forward. You know, as we're moving into more and more in-person practice, we're considering a uh, practice committee will meet uh, Monday and consider opening morning zazen and potential um, eye-opening ceremony for later in the month to fully open up. You know, there's some sense of um, joy in this, and there's also, for me personally, a little sense of hesitation at the same time uh, in this gradual return to in-person practice and each of us over the last 16 months has experienced isolation in some way or another and now as we return even though uh, on an event such as tonight it looks like we're in our own little bubble our own little zoom rectangle and when we're in person in the zendo, it looks like each of us is contained on our cushion, our little personal bubble. But actually, what we know is that we're in community. Um, I'm now thinking of uh, the name of our temple, Quiet Grove Mountain Warm Jewel Temple. When Huitza was here, that's Suzuki Roshi's son, when Huitza was here um, celebrating and helping with Catherine's Mountain Seat ceremony many years ago, he had it was one of his tasks to give the temple name. And he had just recently visited the forest up on the hill at the university, and one of the things he noticed was that in the forest we also find stumps and we find trees fully growing out of those stumps or off of the same root system. And he made a comment that he chose a quiet grove mountain in response 
to his experience there and expressed that when he's sitting zazen in a temple and he's facing out facing the room as the teacher he's experiencing each person on their cushion like a stump <laughs> so i remember him saying that comment but he also placed those stumps um, solidly in the ecosystem of the forest so when i hold us each one of us in our own little bubble each one of us as a stump we also have to recognize we're part of the ecosystem of community. So even in this um, somewhat simplified way of expressing it, we're forced in a way to continually ask, what is it that's happening beyond the concerns of this small self? And yet we have to see through our very own eyes. We can't use somebody else's conditions to see what we see. We have to see through our very own eyes, yet beyond the concerns of this small self. And as been mentioned recently, the teaching called the Satipatthana, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, we have to, when we're in Zazen, we see them both internally and externally. The four foundations are these, as a reminder to you, uh, body, feelings, mind, and objects of mind. So we can see them internally as, oh, that's, this is what's happening in this body. My heart is a little racing faster than usual. Um, my posture is upright. The feelings of, for example, I can hear um, the neighbor children playing basketball outside. So a little feeling of, ooh, some yearning. I, I would like to be playing basketball. <laughs> some longing for that, you know. The activity of my mind, a little bit agitated at this moment, and the objects of mind. Ooh, how can I communicate the Dharma to this group of people? So that's my internal experience. But externally, it's also working. Like, okay, this body in this room with the temperature, the sunlight, in interaction with this environment. These feelings in interaction with the feelings of the day that have carried me so far up to, up to now. So the internal and the external, we notice that the mind is both, um, as we say it, clockwise spinning as an externality and uh, counterclockwise turning as an introspection. So both directions are occurring at the same time, actually. So when Dogen is talking with us in the encouragement, universally recommended instructions for Zazen, known as Fukan Zazengi, he gives us the body experience, you know, put your spine this way, um, make sure in his directions, of course, right foot located on top of the left thigh, left foot located on top of the right thigh in full lotus, and gives us an option for half lotus. We also sit in chairs. So the basic instruction, stabilize the hip complex and make sure that your knees or your feet are in contact with the earth. Then gently 
rock back and forth to find your stability in that direction. Rock forward and back to find your stability in that direction. <laughs> and how lovely to see you in enacting the rocking instructions from Dogen. <clears throat> and then settle. And it's not incidental that Dogen, as part of teaching us Zazen, says, when you arise from Zazen, so he's already giving us that Zazen is not limited to the experience of the seat, sitting part. He gives us, when in Zazen, your eyes should remain open, take a deep breath, inhale, exhale, steady, immovable sitting. But then, when you arise from sitting, move slowly and quietly, calmly and deliberately. Do not rise suddenly or abruptly. In this activity, we recognize then that uh, all of our um, enlightenment and unenlightenment have all depended entirely on the strength of zazen. In our temple, we enact this. Um, we don't arise suddenly or abruptly. We gradually rock back and forth. You know, it's kind of a reverse of the being seated. Rock back and forth. Make sure your feet and legs are awake. Stand up. Bow to the cushion. Clean and fluff the cushion, preparing it for the next person who's going to sit there. So what we're doing now is enacting this uh, ecosystem of our stumps in the forest. <laughs> we're preparing that place for the next person who's sitting there. Our first act after getting up out of Zazen is an act of generosity. preparing that place, welcoming someone else. <clears throat> so a little bit later in the same teaching, Dogen tells us, you have gained the pivotal opportunity of human form. Do not use your time in vain. You are maintaining the essential work of the Buddha way. <clears throat> so, tells us to devote our energies to this very stability and then outwardly turning, preparing to enact the Buddha way. So we're constantly called to interact with the world. We might as well have a clear view beyond what we are imagining, beyond um, any constructs or uh, limitations of our minds. We might as well, as in the story, I think this was just last week, the story of the true dragon. You will remember that there was a person who collected dragon images and dragon statues. And this is like us, our lives. We collect images of what we thought our life would turn out to be. We collect statues of, you know, the life we were handed by our culture or by our family so that was meant to be held in some rigid way like a statue we collect these images and then 
as in the story of the true dragon, this person fell over, fainted, or in some versions of the story, fell over dead when the real dragon showed up at his door, you know. He didn't know what to do with it if it wasn't just an image or a construct. So this real dragon, this real dragon is called your life. The real dragon knocks on your door and open the door and say, oh, I've been waiting for you. Come in, I baked a cake. <laughs> Let's get to know each other a little bit. So this training called Zazen is uh, a training in increasing the scope of our perceptive field, body, feelings, mind, objects of mind. <clears throat> so when we are training in this way, we're remembering that we can turn freely and not fall into having to um, be limited by conditions or by images or as Hong Shur said, classifications that we might have been holding. And then, as Kathy said a couple of weeks ago, facing everything, let go and attain stability. That's from Hong Shur. Now, it seems counterintuitive, doesn't it, to let go and attain stability. Like, letting go seems like, oh no, that that's not stable at all. We incorrectly think that holding on is the stable one, but no. Let go and attain stability. Then stay with that just as that. Stay with this just as this. The true dragon, the true dragon is fluid. We might as well be ready to meet that fluidity. So in theory, we're liberated. And in order to um, enact this liberation, we actually have to loosen the grip, let go, experience the fluidity. We bind ourselves with habits of mind and heart. We bind ourselves with images. So the training of Zazen, now I'm thinking of um, Song of the Trusting Mind. And I understand that Kathy is going to bring this teaching forward next week. So be ready to hear Song of the Trusting Mind. In that teaching, it's a, it's a beautiful poem, actually. And we recite typically the first third of it. But there are two other parts that are equally beautiful. In that poem, it says, Turning the light of awareness around, going beyond appearance and emptiness. The changes that appear to occur in the empty world we call real only because of ignorance. Doesn't that sound like the true dragon story? And then it continues. Do not search for the truth, only cease to hold opinions. Doesn't that sound like the fluidity we're talking about? And then, dualistic constructs do not abide, so take care not to pursue them. So this is staying with appearance just as appearance, staying with the wholeness just as the wholeness. But staying with the appearance doesn't mean the wholeness isn't also there. 
staying with the wholeness doesn't mean that the appearance isn't also accurate. Simultaneously, it's a mistake to talk about appearance and wholeness as, as if they're separate. So, Zazen is central to cultivating that awareness. So, this is now reminding us of last week. Uh, notice what you notice, you know, pay attention to what you pay attention to. And um, Patrick brought forward Paul Haller talking about directional attention, outward turning, that brings focus. And then we sit and make the non-effort of not holding on to them. This non-effort is what Hong Sher was talking about, you know. And counterintuitively, that stability is fluid. So, now the receptive, the inward turning, uh, as Patrick talked about Paul Haller's perspective on this, the receptive attention brings ease. Focus and ease can exist at the same time. They don't have to be considered separate. Not this or that. It's both this and that. So now I'm going to be talking about um, the word radical. I had to look it up in the dictionary. There are so many meanings for the word radical. And I want to talk about radical attention this way because I mean for it to be both receptive and directional, both outward turning and inward turning. And I'm using now the mathematical term radical. For example, the square root of four is two. It's a root. It's the radical. The mathematicians call that a radical. What is it? What times what equals this number? The radical. So now I'm talking about uh, two squared equals four. That's basic math. Mm. Now I'm talking about exponential attention, radical attention, receptive attention multiplied by directional attention, the inward turning uh, multiplied, multiplied by the external. Paying attention to what you're paying attention to. This is an example of radical attention. But now I'm going to ask you to consider the exponent of three. We would call this cubed. Now three dimensions. Notice that you are paying attention to what you are paying attention to. This is attention cubed. Radical. Habitually, we hold on to a story and we end up being limited by that story, kind of identified with it in some ways. But this attention cubed frees us from the story because we can see um, the, the rumination or the fruitless spin of the story. And when we feel that fruitless spin, of, for example, having tried to live one's life according to somebody else's image of how one's life should have turned. <laughs> we, we develop a wish to be free of that um, spin. 
That wish to be free of the spin is what we would call the arising of bodhicitta. The arising of the bodhi part is awakened or awakening, and citta is the same as sheen, mind, and heart. So the arising of the awakened heart, or even better, more accurate, I think, the arising of the awakening heart comes directly from this radical attention. And that's where the habitual, the story, becomes quite porous. We can actually choose to drop the story. Dualistic constructs do not abide, so take care not to pursue them. If there is even, I'm continuing to quote, trust in mind. If there is even a trace of this and that, right and wrong, the mind will be lost in confusion. Radical attention frees us from the spin of that confusion. And we're no longer identified by um, being limited to body sensations or emotions or uh, constricting thought. What's necessary is for us to remember to touch the earth in the same way that the Buddha touched the earth when confronted by the aggression of Mara. There's another kind of radical, and that is the kind of radical that we would think of in sociological terms. Uh, the Buddha's way is actually very revolutionary. You know, um, in this way, the Buddha lived in a time where it's actually still true in much of that part of the world, where there's a societal hierarchy and some people have access to power that other people do not have access to. You know, the, the caste system has not lost its grip on that part of the world. So the revolutionary way of the Buddha, and I think that we can also find our own equivalent in this society of uh, hierarchy and status that are not necessarily the most helpful and healthy ways to hold our relationships. The revolutionary way of the Buddha is that anyone can attain, ooh, I hesitate what the word attain, but anyone can attain enlightenment apart from any societal hierarchy. Oh, I'm seeing Jojo. Hello, buddy. Jojo. Hi, buddy. I'm so glad you found a home. <laughs> um, apart from any societal hierarchy, everyone has access to the Dharma. It's part of our task. When we clean and fluff the cushions, that's what we're doing. It's like, welcome anyone who would like to access the Dharma. So the revolution of the Buddha, he did, he undid everything about privileged. So now actually in modern times, we're required to listen to each other carefully uh, without any notion of status power. 
So you know I have a hesitation around the word attain because we hear it every day in the Heart Sutra. There's nothing to attain. It's right before you unfolding constantly. Meet this dragon apart from the stories that we may have created or that may have been handed to us. Another aspect of the radical way of the Buddha Samsara, this cycle of life in which we find ourselves. You know, the Buddha taught, this is not about other lifetimes. It's about the cycles within this lifetime. <laughs> How are we recreating suffering by holding on to a fixed view, for example? The possibility of pure liberation experienced from within that's not reliant on approval, it's not reliant on knowledge, it's not reliant on achievement of any kind. It's just the stability of touching the earth. These conditions, so-called internal conditions of this one, meeting these conditions, the so-called external, and in the process of inward turning, outward turning, we actually um, recognize the truth that there is no internal external this is one event occurring mm -hmm. so even though we know it's a false dichotomy to set up an internal and external we have to kind of talk about it that way uh, internally meeting the external conditions with sincerity with humility There was one more meaning of radical, and that occurs in the scientific way of a free radical. I don't know if I totally understand this from the science point of view, but I really like the phrase free radical. <laughs> As I understand it from the scientific point of view, it's an atomic unity that is bonded together and it's considered an entity. And um, a free radical can join I think it goes this way, can join with other free radicals to be part of a larger molecule. This sounds to me a lot like um, being part of the ecosystem of a forest, a bunch of stumps <laughs> and trees. What's growing out of the roots that we hold in common? Good thing I was not a science teacher because I don't really totally comprehend that. Anyway, <clears throat> I like the phrase free radical. This middle way is free and it's truly revolutionary. Bring vigor, bring stability, bring ease at the same time. We lift ourselves out of our self-reinforcing hindrances and we do this at least in part by taking care of each other. As usual, I over-prepare for talks, but maybe that's a good place to stop and open up to some conversation. And we can, um, I'll do the four vows, we can have some announcements, and then for those who would like to leave or who need to leave, you can take off and I'll stick around for some conversation. Beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. 
Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it.